Hello and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewanfo, and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. So these people who probably are hearing from you for the first time, what would you like to say about yourself? So please, let's go. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Queen Aminata. I am um, the developmental queen of the Fulani Nation in Ghana, in the Ashanti region, as well as a queen in the Imbo Nation. And I do a lot of uh, human rights consulting, business consulting. I did grow up here in the United States, so I have a um, unique worldview because I travel a lot. So I'm exposed to a lot of different cultures, a lot of different people. So I, and basically what I do is I do a lot of community activism. I stand up for women's rights and human rights all over the world. And that's kind of the basics of what I do. I also run a couple of businesses. We do import and export. We do agricultural things on the continent of Africa. So I have a wide scope of things that I I work on. And we're definitely going to be talking about a lot of things today. Uh, knowing that also you deal on um, on things that have to do with agriculture because we have opened out opened up a conversation in that line because uh, as a people, if we are going to have to feed ourselves, then agriculture yes. is going to be uh, very vital as both as a conversation in research and also going to the feed as it were. So, uh, but today, of course, we are going to be concentrating mainly about you, about uh, human rights and those good things, okay? All right, yes. so how did you... Uh, to start with, uh, your name, um, Aminanta, can you tell me something about it? It appeared that that is a name that was given to you uh, at a point, no? Help me to understand that. Your queen on the continent of Africa, she stood up against the British and, col- uh, and colonization. And so that name was given to me because they said I have her spirit in standing up for the rights of people and for humanity all over the world. And so that name was granted to me. It means... Back in the day, what it meant was um, woman as capable as man. So that's what they gave me. Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I love that. You know? uh, the, the women are just as strong as men. You know, of course, we, we are we are co-building the society, like I always say, you know, the feminine and the masculine energy, that is how it functions. Most so, definitely, we complement one another. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so now let's look at um, uh, some of the things that, that you do. I think I was reading on your website uh, a couple of uh, minutes ago, something like, I'm a certified human rights consultant, a human trafficking consultant. Would you like to say yes. something about that? So what I do is um, organizations and companies hire me to come in and train their employees on what human rights are. So most people don't know that we are born with human rights. There's something that have been given to you from birth. They cannot be taken away. And everybody, no matter who they are, no matter how much money they make, no matter how much melanin they have in their skin, no matter what their gender is, everybody has them. And they're equal across the board. So what I do is companies hire me to come in and train their staff, mostly executive staff, but sometimes the line workers as well, on what those human rights are so that the the company can be ran in a manner that is equitable to everybody and in line with um, international law. So that's kind of what I do. And for the human trafficking, I kind of got into that because here in Arizona, where I'm currently located, we have a very large 
sex trafficking issues here because we're close to the border of Mexico. So I kind of got into that and I do a lot of work with local organizations here in Arizona to combat the sex trafficking trade and to educate people on the dangers of it and how to spot it and where to go for help and things like that. And that is really very interesting. So we're, we're going to take it one bit at a time. Let's take uh, take, take on the, uh, the the human right then. Of course, we're going to look at uh, uh, the, the trafficking. And of course, I also have another important argument to do with you because I, I understand that you are you are very active in the idea of Pan-Africanism. So that is also, also something that we need to touch uh, along the way. Uh, now, I don't even understand what is meant by human right. Can you like um, uh, give a kind of a, a deeper explanation of that? Uh, perhaps some people need a better understanding of, of what is even meant by human right. Please help us to understand that. So basically in 1948, um, a group of people came together and they outlined 30 rights that are inalienable to every person simply because you're a human being. They're yours simply because you're a human being. So from the time you're born, you have these 30 rights. The problem that we have nowadays is that people don't even know that they have them. So they don't know when they're being violated. They just think things is status quo. That's how things are. And it's just not true. So that's what I am very serious about is teaching people that you have rights as a human being. And so the United Nations has come up with 30 human rights and they were developed in 1948. It's called the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Anybody can Google those. You can go to my website and get download a copy of them and learn what they are. Um, there are 30 of them. And I don't know if you want me to read off what the 30 are. They're kind of lengthy, but there's 30 of them. You can get them on my website or it's a simple Google search. Yeah. I don't know. I was saying that there's anything you want to share with us there in line. If there is anything, if there is anyone that is... Um... Uh, that is very important there or some of the things that you might so want to basically share just students. to name off a few everyone has everyone has a right to an education everyone has a um, right to be born free and equal everyone has a right to be equal in front of the law um, everyone is entitled to have a you're not um, everyone is entitled to not be tortured everyone um, is is entitled to not be held as a slave I mean there's different, um, levels of these, and there's 30 of them, and they're very in-depth, and they're very specific. All right. Thank you very much for that. Another thing that I'm trying to understand also within the line of the human right now is, um, is it, uh, does it become active only when uh, this uh, convention, I think you may mention of 1938, if I'm not mistaken, where these people came together and established this human right. Was that actually when these rights um, were um, came to be or like you said before this right have been there before just because we didn't know that they were there or we didn't want to respect it as it were no so basically you've we've always had these but what happened is in 1948 people came together and they acknowledged them they put them in writing and they stamped them as as these are your official human rights so that people would know that's basically what it has they um sanctioned it so to speak and made them official for the whole world. And so that happened in 1948. Um, it's a declaration. So basically what it is, is it's just an outline. It's a declaration is when you just speak something forth. Um, and these human rights have been, um, so the declaration is not a legally binding document. Countries have signed on to it saying that we agree to follow these, these rules. We agree to grant everybody these things. But as we know, anytime you turn on the news, 
that's not what's happening, right? It's not a legally binding document, but what is legally binding is the um, political and civil rights. And so the human rights are part of the political and civil rights. So that's where you have to go into it for the legal aspect. So the declaration is just letting people know, we're declaring to you that you have these 30 human rights. They're yours by birth. They cannot be taken away from you. And every single person on the planet has them. From the time you're born until the day you take your last breath, these are yours. And so my mission, along with many other people who do the same work as I do, humanitarians, is to get this information to people. Because if you don't know you have them, then you don't know that you're being violated and that you have these rights to stand up for. So my mission is to make sure that I get this information to the people. I'm very big on education. I believe that human rights should be taught from elementary school on up so that people know what their rights are. And so that's what I do. I go around and I teach these human rights. I let people know that they have them and I point them in the right direction so that they can educate themselves and making sure that they are not being violated anywhere they go. These, these rights are yours no matter where you're at, no matter what country you're in, no matter what language you speak, it does not matter. They are yours. And everybody needs to know that, yes. That is really very important, really very important. Now, another thing related to that now that I'm sort of curious about how to do with uh, whether they are actually binding or not. You're, because if you make a law that people don't obey, that really is not a law. Okay, I know we're not talking about law, we're talking about rights, no? Okay, mm -hmm. I, I, okay right, they are, they are within the, the confine of the law as it were, no? Correct. If my rights, this is my human right, I be denied me and I have no power to be able to uphold that. What am I supposed to do as a citizen of a country or okay, as a human being? So there are organizations out there that can take up your cause and fight on your behalf. So it's very difficult. And I understand this. It's very difficult when you live in a country that is violating those rights across the board, doing all kinds of stuff that they shouldn't be doing. You feel like you have no voice. You maybe don't have the financial money to get an attorney to fight these things for you. But there are nonprofit organizations that you can connect with who will take up this cause and fight on your behalf. They can get you resources. So there are things that you can do to help along the way. Um, everybody is entitled to a nationality and everybody is entitled to seek asylum in another country. So that's even an option. If you're able to hook up with one of these organizations that can get you out of the situation temporarily while they take on your cause, that's something that you can do too. So there are many, many options out there available to people. And that's why it's important to get the information to people so that when they find themselves in a situation, they can make the best option for themselves as to what track they want to take to get to address the situation. And okay, another thing is, uh, but why was there the, um, I mean, why is it that so country opt out that they do not adhere okay say maybe they, they they have the option to or not to uh, respect this law is it not supposed to be binding by everyone since uh, we are talking of the universal human right it's supposed to be equal for everybody then uh, some countries shouldn't have the option of whether or not to, res to respect it they should really should really respect this law because it is human right why is there the option for them to opt out from it well, as you know, everything is political in the world, right? And so um, it's hard to bite the hand that feeds you. Let's put it that way. So 
it's very difficult for you to enforce something if you have an alliance with somebody. So say like, and I'm just going to use this as an example. I don't know that this is the case. I'm just using this as an example. Say like there's a country called, I don't know, the purple country, right? And this purple country is in collaboration or working with this red country. And the red country is supplying the purple country with things that they need. But this red country is violating people's human rights. And the red country doesn't want to obey and respect people's human rights. The purple country has the means to put pressure on this red country and stop them from doing things. But if they do that, then the red country is going to cut off maybe their food supply. So they don't want to stand up against this other country because now they're going to suffer. So it's a it's a political battle that's going on. Um, at some point, we're going to have to get to a place where we're saying that right is right and wrong is wrong and start holding these different governments accountable. I think there are groups of people across the planet right now who are standing up and doing just that. Um, and over the course of time, I do see things getting better. It's just going to take us some time to get there because there's corruption everywhere in all aspects of the world and in everything we do, right? There are, there's corruption going on. There's people that we have a lot of the wrong people in the right places. Let's say that. So we have to work to get those people out. <laughs> that is true. There are a lot of wrong people in the, in the right places and they make everybody suffer uh, the, the consequences of that. Uh, now, you go around trying to promote uh, human rights uh, in different places. Uh, what do people? What do you hear people complain about? Maybe uh, of their abuse. Uh, that I mean, their right to be abused. What kind of abuse do you hear often that people complain to you about? Which of course justify why you are there trying to let people know that they have a right. Because if everybody knows that they have a right, they should be respected. You don't have a job going there, no. The biggest rights that I hear people complaining about are racial and gender. Um, people are discriminated against based off of racial, racial things. People are discriminated on based off of what gender they have or what gender they're choosing nowadays choosing to identify as. And so those are the basic um, things that I hear when I go out to these different companies is the, the gender and the racial thing, sometimes um, religious, but mostly it's gender and racial. Sometimes it's a lot, depending on where you're at. So it, it depends on what country you're speaking to, because every country has different issues, right? So some countries, it's a matter of um, the legal system, the criminal justice system. A lot of people have complaints about that because when they get arrested, they're being arrested falsely and they're not being given the rights that they should be given to in front of the court. They're not all kind of things. So it kind of depends on where you're at and the audience that you're talking to, the kind of complaint that you get. All right. That, that's correct. It depends on where you are. So sometimes some mm -hmm. of this right can be actually taking away from you. But let's say if you are in Afghanistan or maybe if you are in Iraq or something or some places like that, some of this right can be taken away from you. But what if you are maybe in some of the most advanced countries in the world, like in the United States, because you were born in the United States. Uh, what about racial justice there? Because these are part of the human right, if I'm not mistaken. So tell us about that. Uh, United States has a lot of racial issues. It always has. Um, so I can't sugarcoat that. Um, and, and now it's because of um, media and, and media things going global, the whole world sees it now. It's been going on here from the beginning of time. It's just that the world really didn't know about it, right? Now it's come to light. 
Everybody knows there's racial injustice in the United States. We do have a lot of people here working on that, but we're not there yet. We have a long way to go um, because there's different perspectives on things. So when you've been raised in a, in a society that tells you that this group of people is less than and you belong to a group of people that's better, and that's where you were raised to think, it's kind of hard to get that group of people to understand that this other group of people that you're looking down on are human beings just like you, and they're entitled to have a life just like you, right? But if you were raised to believe otherwise, and it's ingrained in your mind, it's very difficult to change that around. So there are some things taking place in the United States, but I have to be honest, the United States has a very long way to go. Um, there's a lot of issues in the United States, not just racial. There's a lot of issues going on in the United States, and we have a very long way to go. And that's why I'm very big on if you see something, say something. You can't be quiet. It's scary to speak up, but we have to unite with groups that are working with this on these issues and because there's strength in numbers, but there's power in our unity. We have to unite if we're going to fight these things. We have to come together as humanity, not as Black people, white people, Hispanic people. No, we have to come together as human beings and stand up for what's right because the power is with the people, not the government, to be honest. I believe that. I believe that too. That is why I uh, we are here uh, talking about issues that concerns us because we are human beings. This is not the government talking. These are the human beings. We are the citizens talking That's right. about issues that concerns us. All right. Now, I'm going to remain there for some time. This issue of um, racial injustice and the abuse of the human rights, of course, because we are talking about a human rights abuse and all that. Uh, and of course, we know that the United States um, go around, uh, of course, by United States, I mean, agencies working for the United States uh, going around to promote uh, human rights and all that, which of course is the right thing to do. But mm -hmm. if at home you don't even have this this right for, for people, you don't, I don't know, how do you look at that justification? Because I'm not even able to understand that. Can you repeat the question? And the question is that, uh, okay, if I uh, key a goat that, that doesn't do anything to me, that means I'm abusing the, the right of the goat if the goat were to have any right. If I am guilty of that, do I have the right to be going around and telling people, hey, don't kill goat that didn't do anything to you? So since the United States is usually going around telling people about human rights, if within the country they don't even have uh, a good example to show in terms of protection of human rights, where do they get the moral justification to go around and start talking of human rights? That is what I'm trying to understand. It's called supremacy. Um, so if you understand the history of the United States, um, people of color over the course of history have not been considered human beings. So when they do these things, they don't really consider them to be a violation of human rights, because if you're not considered a human being, then they're not violating your human rights, if that makes sense. So there's a battle going on even in that. So over the course of the history, you know, through slavery and all that, Black people were not considered human beings. So were they, in their mind, they weren't really violating anybody's human rights because you're not a person, you're property. So it's all in a worldview. So those things are, um, as, the, as the population gets educated and people and racism is kind of going away because younger generations, we're all mixed in together, right? We are all living together. We're not really segregated like we used to be. There are some parts of the country that are still segregated, but for the most part, everybody is intermingling with everybody. So. As, as people's worldview changes and people get to know people of other races and they figure out that, wow, these people that don't look like me are 
pretty much like me though. They just don't look like me. And these people are my friends. Then, then those things start to change. And that's why you see an awakening happening because different racial groups are now seeing and recognizing that, hey, what's happening to this group of people is wrong and we're gonna stand up and say it's wrong. I think that's a wonderful thing. That's an awesome thing. That's the beauty of diversity. Because if you only stay in your little tight-knit circle with people that look like you, that think like you, that act like you, that eat what you eat and do the things that you do, then you don't understand the other groups that are around you. And therefore, when things wrong, things that are going wrong in those other groups are happening, in your mind, you can't identify with it. You don't know anybody over there. It doesn't make sense. And you just don't care. But diversity says, no, we're all going to mix in together. We're going to be one people. And when that happens, and it's happening to somebody that you know, you can you can look at it differently and it'll embolden you to speak up because you don't want this happening to your friend that you love and care about. And that's why I'm always a big proponent of diversity and inclusion, because if we don't know one another, if we don't accept one another for who we are and the and respect the differences in people, the world is never going to get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if we don't take action, the world is not going to get better. It's not going to um... get any better. I take it, Aisha, uh, is the responsibility of everyone, every one of it, us. Every human being has that responsibility, yes, sir. Yeah. So you were saying, uh, relating to uh, the abuse, the, the continuous abuse in the United States, which, of course, never came out. People didn't know. <laughs> Yesterday, I was making mention of uh, the, this song. I don't remember the name of this, um, this uh, musician who titled the song Strange Fruits. Uh, uh. <laughs> You know, it, you know, it's it, we, it's like we are laughing though, but this is serious. That's, yeah, people is, hanging from trees, and that that really happened here. <laughs> so, is it is it that the people? The, you know, I was making an example of the goat before, no? So I don't want to use human being because at least if 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 you no matter who you are, at least you'll be able to understand. But in the United States, is it is it right that you just see a cat? You say, hey, "Well, this one is a cat. I just kill it because it's not equal to me." Is that how it works? You just see a goat. You say, ah, this is a goat. It's not, it's not like me. I'm better than a goat. Then you just shoot the goat. Like in the case that we see uh, continuously happening. What I'm trying to understand is that why is it difficult for somebody to understand that when you take up a gun to shoot some other persons, that person you are shooting is a human being like you. How many decades? How many centuries? How many millenniums? Do we need to understand that the person in front of you is a human being? Why is it difficult well, for us to understand? I, I think that's a multifaceted question. I think one of the big problems um, with that issue is propaganda. So if when you go to the movies, if you don't have any contact with purple people, right? But when you go to the movies, all you see about purple people is that they're criminals, they're murderers, they're rapists. They want to hurt you. So then when you run into a purple person, all you're going to see is a threat because that's all you know. You don't know any purple people in person, right? You just know what you see on TV, what you see in the movies, what you see on the news. That's all you know. It shapes your it shapes what you think and how you look right at the, at this at the purple people. So when you encounter a purple person automatically in your mind, you're thinking, oh, my gosh. This is what I saw in that movie. This is what I saw on TV. These people are a threat to me. I have to protect myself, right? So it's not gonna pain me to get rid of the threat because in my mind, it's me or them. 
if that makes sense. So a lot of what goes on here um, is propaganda. These, these images and messages that are going out to people, going out to people, going out to people who don't have a diverse lifestyle and don't really know anybody in the purple people group. It doesn't, it doesn't um, bother them to do anything to the purple people because in their mind, these purple people are beasts. They, they act like wild animals. They should be treated as such. Well, I can even take that as a, as a justification. But what if this uh, animal, this beast, are living in the same society, they are having the same passport? At least, uh, say maybe, for example, I am the so-called good American, the perfect one, because I'm coming from Europe. My parents are coming from Europe. And maybe in my neighborhood, there is this animal that is coming from Africa, but he has never killed any person from my family. He has never done anything wrong, wrong to me. Why do I just, because he looked like the person I see on the television, because the person in the television is guilty, my neighbor, my neighbor who haven't done anything to me is also guilty. Is it that these people don't have any responsibility so that we blame everything on the government and the media? That is where I'm also going with this question. So, so I don't know how to answer that because I can't really speak for what's going on in people's minds. I can just tell you that, you know, if, if, if you're a purple person coming to the United States from another country, just looking at you, people don't know you came here from another country. Maybe when you start speaking, if they hear your accent or something. But just to look at you, nobody's going to know the difference between me, you, and the person over here. They're, you can't look at somebody for the most part and tell what country they came from or that they're an immigrant here or that they're here on vacation. You look like the purple people. Mm -hmm. And these purple, these purple people usually are the African people and they are usually the victim at the end of the day. All right, that is fine. Now, these people. <laughs> I was trying not to say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, we can we can see it. You no, know? we see it every day. You no, know? maybe before it wasn't every day. You no, know? maybe the police could just take you a tie rope on your neck. I don't know how they do it. People just got missing. You no, know? <laughs> but now we can see the uh, the, the picture. And you say, did it really happen? Of course, it happened. We see a policeman kneeling on the neck of somebody until the person dies. Not that it make a mistake. Not that they were just trying to shoot. The person shoot at the police, then the police have to shoot back. You know, it, it's, it's not even rational, no? Because as a policeman, like I usually say, you are not supposed to be a murderer. You are supposed to be the one who arrests a criminal. You don't go there and shoot a criminal and bring the dead body. How can that dead body face justice? How can you, the one who are supposed to uphold the law, because by the time you go there and start shooting criminal around, you are a lawbreaker. You are not upholding the law. It means that if I have a gun, you are coming to arrest me. I know you are going to kill me. I should shoot you from the window. Because if I open the, the window for I open the door for you to come in, you are going to shoot me. Why should mm -hmm. I wait for you to kill me? I should kill you. That is, what kind of a society is that? Is it that people don't understand it? Do we need to go into psychology to be explaining how the I, police to function? Why is it? I don't understand it. I don't really understand it either. Um, that's probably a question for somebody who understands the human psyche. That's not my area. Um, I just know that there are a lot of things that happen in this world that, in my opinion, are not right. Um, and it's going to take all of us, no matter where we live, no matter how much money we make, no matter what we look like, no matter what our religious beliefs, no matter what our political beliefs no matter what our gender, no matter what our sexual orientation, none of that matters. We are human beings. 
when we see injustice happening in the world, we need to get with groups of people and stand up and say, this isn't right. And we need to do our part to make it make a difference and to stand up for the rights of those who feel like they can't stand up for themselves. Because there are people in situations who they feel like they have no voice, they have no backing, they have no support, nobody's listening. We need to be able to use the platforms that God has given us to stand up for those people and make a difference. That's what I believe. I do that every single day of my life. I encourage other people to do it. Um, I can't give an answer to what somebody else is thinking or why groups of people behave this way and that way. I don't know. And to be honest, I don't spend a lot of time trying to figure it out because people are dying. And so what we need to do is make sure that we're doing our part in this struggle because everybody has a role to play. We need to make sure that we're playing our role with the skills that the Lord has given us to make a difference. That's what I, I think. And we need to train up the next generation so that they don't think like those people. That's why we have to educate people on what's right, what their rights are, how to exercise those rights and embolden people to claim those rights and to stand up for those rights so that this next generation coming up doesn't behave like the generation before them that were doing all the wrong things for the wrong reasons. Thank you very much for that. Uh, sorry that I'm putting the hard question to you, but I don't know no, who okay. I should put it to because you are talking about human rights. So all the questions that are just because I, I can't find answer to this. So that's anyway, we are done here talking. Uh, and about I don't know this. that there is an answer, unfortunately. <laughs> I I just don't know. I just don't know. So uh, I didn't really answer your question because I don't know the answer. <laughs> It's okay. All right. Now, um, like I said before, if, if uh, the, the case of abuse in the United States were to be in Iraq or Afghanistan, hey, we will look for a way to easily justify it because they don't have democracy. So we have to go there and help the people. Uh, yeah, which is what people should usually do in some cases. But uh, the people in the United States are like every other person in the world, whether you are in Nigeria or you are in South Africa or you are mm -hmm. in Italy or you are in Germany. If your right is abused, your right is abused. So there is no smaller right or bigger rights. All of us are equal in front of the law. That is the way it's supposed yes. to be. All right. Mm -hmm. By the time people's rights are abused, in the case of maybe what we have in the United States, uh, you cry out, uh, nobody hears you. Or actually, what should the people do in order to make sure that their rights are respected, their human rights? What should the people do? Well, like I said, they need to, when, when these things are going on, there are organizations and groups of people on the ground in different communities all across the United States and, and all across the world that are fighting these battles. Those are the groups that you need to reach out to. So you need to reach out to those groups and let them know what's going on because they work at the grassroots level. So it's great to be complaining to the government way up here, right? But by the time you get through all the bureaucracy and the red tape and gets down to the people, people are dead. We, we got to connect with the grassroots people. The power is with the people. So you need to connect with the grassroots organizations in your local community who can stand up for you. That's what we have to do, because those organizations are connected to bigger organizations and it goes up like that. It, the change is going to happen from the ground up, not the top down, in other words. All right. Now, within the human rights uh, abuse and talk and rights and whatever it is that is guiding it. What is motivating you to continue this particular struggle, looking at how complex it is? No, it's not really supposed to be complex. We just make it complex. So right. what is your motivation for it? Um, my motivation is that I have a love for people. And I honestly believe deep down in my soul that everyone has a right to life. 
period. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they were born. I don't care if they came from a rich family, a poor family. It doesn't matter to me. You were born, you matter, and you have a right to life. Full stop. That's what motivates me. All right. Before you were saying that are this agency uh, that are that are that people can cry out to when they are right are being abused, no? Because it is very important that uh, you push me, you push me. Okay, there is a limit to where you need to push me, no? So I need mm -hmm. to. I'm, I'm because I'm a human being. Right. So how effective are these uh, soccer? You know, this uh, agency that you need to run to for help. How effective are they in your view? Because you've been working in this area for a long time. You know then you know what is on ground so how effective are they really so i think they're very effective um i just know some cases that i've been involved with and witnessed they were able to get some people out of some very serious situations they were able to get some sanctions put on some different companies um because of some violations that took place, they were able to save some girls who were being trafficked. I mean, these organizations are very effective in what they do. They're good at what they do. They have the political connections and the money backing to get things done. Um, the, the key is you have to get connected with them. So it's important that people find out in their local area because every they're not necessarily national organizations. So they're not gonna be known like whatever's happening in Timbuktu or whatever may not be known in this other part of the country. You have to get connected in your local area. That's where change starts. It starts at the ground grassroots level in your local area. Yes, you can reach out to some bigger organizations, but I think it's more successful and beneficial if you connect with people in your local community because they're there with you on the ground. I remember before you were making mention of the media, no? Um, because I understand that the media have an important role to play here because we're talking of community education, educating the people, mm -hmm. because the woman I just saw on the, in the news that uh, <laughs> the black people are animals. So it begins to treat every black person on the street as animal. I don't know if that is really justified, if that is enough to justify the action, though. And again, we are not going too much into psychology here because uh, that should be uh, that should that really should be enough, no. Otherwise, uh, you should everybody in this world should be dead because you don't hear that people that are coming from from Morocco are bad people. If you see person coming from Morocco, just do the bad, you know. Then we start fighting. <laughs> you no, know, some people are very funny. They just do their stupid thing and they look for a way mm -hmm. to justify them. Okay, right. all right. Having said that, coming back to the media, what role do you think the media should play? in trying to make sure that everyone's right is uphold. Not just the right for few people, everyone. Well, I, I think the media is a very powerful tool because they have the, the ability to shape the thoughts of the people. So media, in my opinion, their role, and what, what I this is what I don't see. In my opinion, media should be um, objective. It should be, it should present both sides of an issue objectively speak facts, not opinion, right? And, and put the right information out to the people. But what often ends up happening is they are, like I said earlier, it's hard to bite the hands that feed you. So certain news organizations are politically backed. So they present one side of the story and they, they, they twist it a little bit to fit a certain narrative. And that's very dangerous because the media is what people see and hear. It shapes the thoughts of the people. So media plays a very important role. Media should be fair and balanced. It should present facts, not opinion. It should be um, facts that are verified and not just things that you heard. So you hurry up and put this out. It shouldn't be based on stereotypes, 
none of that, but oftentimes it is, and that's very dangerous. But to answer your question, media has a very important role to play. I think we need to utilize the media more to bring attention to situations because a lot of things happen in these different communities that doesn't make the news. And so people never hear about it. So they think these George Floyd incidents and these Tamika incidents are um, isolated incidents when in the reality is they happen every single day all over the country, all over the world, actually. But they don't make the news so people don't hear about it. So they think, oh, that just happened that one time. Well, no, it actually happens every single day. It just doesn't make the news. All right. The news. Actually, it's a collection of the local incidents, collection of the local events that make up the news. Now we report right. it in one place. All right. Uh, having said that, don't the people in the minority, in this case, I'm looking at the African-American because we are using uh, the United States as an example in this discussion. Don't they have the power to be able to master their own narration in a way that they can become a dominant part in information that is going out? Or are there um, a kind of uh, restriction or a specific uh, limitation in those areas? So since we're speaking on the black population in the United States, let me say this, we don't own our own media stations. We don't own our own. So we're not in charge of what's being said about us because we don't own any, we don't own our own media station. We don't have, um, we don't have a place like that, a national media news station or whatever, like CNN or anything like that, where we can tell our story. So we're depending on other people to tell our story for us. And that's not a good thing either. Right. So for, for black people, what we need to do is we need to be uniting. And that's a big problem because we're so divided in the black community. This is not a secret. We're divided for a variety of different reasons. We're divided. So we can't we need to come together and have our own our own stuff to be able to tell our own story and fight our own battles. Right now, that's not what's happening. That's why I'm a big Pan-Africanist. We, we need to come together globally as a people and support one another, but that's not what's happening. So, I mean, it's happening little by little. I think Pan-Africanism is growing. The message of Pan-Africanism is growing. People are starting to understand that we are one people. We're Africans that were born in the United States. Um, but right now, we don't have our own media outlet. We don't own a CNN. We don't own a Fox News. We don't own a MSNBC. So who's telling our story? And the question is, is going to be why? In that we know you and I know that this agency that you have mentioned, whether it is Force News, CNN, of course, these are national media agencies with a clear mm -hmm. agenda. If they don't tell, if they don't tell the story from the narration or the point of view of the African American, we should not be surprised. It shouldn't be surprising to us. We should have known by now that that is the way it is, and that is the way it's going to be until that kid don't come. So, if that is the case. Does, is it because we don't have money? Is it because the community don't have money? Is it because you don't have trained people? Is it because, um, is, it, is there anything that is really making it impossible to do it? Uh, for, the reason, for this reason, we don't have a media outlet to propagate the interest of the, of the African people so that, because their voice needs to really dominate the conversation about them. What, what is actually the real reason why it doesn't exist? Division. We're not united. We don't see the next Black person as our brother or our sister. That, that's the simplest answer I can give you. We're not united. 
All right. That is the last question I'm going to ask you there. But before we move to uh, trafficking, I'm going to ask you, what do you think is going to be the solution? Because if we can identify a problem, then we must look for a way to find a solution to it. How can we, as Africans in the diaspora, and in this case, Africans in the United States, how can we trust ourselves and stop shooting ourselves on the foot so we can also build for our interests, for the things that, is, that we have in common? So um, to me, Pan-Africanism is the solution. And I think we need to connect with like-minded people who understand what the actual problem is, that the problem is division. And we need to put what we know into action. So in other words, it's great that we talk about it. We sit at tables and talk about it, but what are we doing, right? I think we need to just come together and start doing some things, which there are some people doing some things. We need to come together, start doing some things, and then just let the work speak for itself. And so then as people see, hey, what they're saying is really working, more people will see it, more people will get on board with it, and it will spread. Um, but until that happens, we're gonna just be in this cycle. And the truth of the matter is we're not going to save everybody. Some people are not going to buy into it. Some people are not going to want to participate in it. Some people aren't going to understand it. Some people aren't going to see the bigger picture. Some people are so focused on right the here and now that they can't think two and three generations down the road, which is how we should be thinking. We should be thinking for two and three generations down the road and not just in the here and now, because we need to raise up these next generations to be doing the right thing. Otherwise, it's just going to be they're going to just incorporate into the same vicious cycle that we're in right now. Thank you very much for that. And now we're going to touch a little bit uh, uh, trafficking. And let's see um, if, we, if we have a, a time to look at the Pan-Africanism, because that is very important for me. So uh, what are you doing within the area of uh, trafficking? So I work with a couple of local organizations here in Arizona for the trafficking. Basically, what I do is behind the scenes work in the trafficking area, a lot of research. Um, sometimes I'm calling and talking to victims or families of victims, getting the information to the organizations. That's basically my work. I'm not the out front person on that issue. Um, I don't really have the time to be the out front person, but I do spend a lot of time doing research, talking to different people on the streets, gathering data, talking to victims and their families. Um, trying to get them resources and things like that. So my role in the human trafficking thing outside of um, going and training people on what human trafficking is, because I do a lot of talks and training, talking to different groups about, hey, this is what human trafficking is. And did you know there was even a problem? A lot of people don't know this, but as far as human trafficking goes, Black women are trafficked at a lot higher rate than other groups. And the reason for that is because if you get caught trafficking a black woman, as opposed to trafficking somebody of another race, your punishment tends to be less. All right, we're going to explore that data a little bit more. I'm going to ask you a few questions related to that. Uh, because of course, here in this uh, part of the world, I'm in Italy, uh, Italy is a hot spot uh, for uh, uh, so trafficking of uh, Africans to Europe. Uh, this is something that is not even very simple as an argument, no. And we might say, ah, well, and, and Europe don't need Africa. Why are they, they, they shouldn't be here? Or maybe they need it. Why, why did they not make it possible for people to come here legally? You know, it's, it's a very complex situation. Here in Europe, uh, uh, immigration is a political argument. Very, very political, no? Yep. Uh, people don't really face it the way it really is. They just go around and politicize it enough and enough. Sometimes they make a, a, a lot of... Uh, a terrible uh, mistake along the way. So right there in the United States, of course, we know that uh, President Trump was very tough on on on, the, on immigration too. 
And it, it was one of the the, the key um the, the, the key argument that he had before jury and i think even now that he has left the, the office is still very much strong on that or maybe mm -hmm. i don't know so uh from from what what are the data saying relating to uh trafficking because i think that would be very important for particularly for for africans and for people of african origin so i can only speak on where I'm at and what the area that I'm doing it in. And we have a very, we, I, right now where I'm at is I'm on the border of Mexico. So there's a bit, very big trafficking issue here. Now those people are trafficked to Mexico and then from there they go out to other parts of the world. Um, and they're typically trafficking young girls. It's, it's a sex trafficking rate um, rings that are going on here. Um, we also have people being trafficked into the country for, um, work purposes. So these people are being trafficked in here. They're working in different industries. I won't say what those industries are to get, that'll start a whole bunch of mess, but they're being trafficked here and mistreated here based on these different industries and they, they can't work off their debt. And so it turns into a slavery issue. Um, it, it, it's a very complex thing. And it's just like you said, it's extremely political. Um, and it's a very hard area to tackle because it's political, because it's an uncomfortable topic. People really don't believe it's going on because a lot of things that you hear is this is 2021. What do you mean, you know, this is happening and people don't believe it. It's a, it's a very difficult subject to tackle. It's, and it's a hard subject to um, deal with on the ground because people really don't believe it's an issue. And the reason they don't believe it's an issue is because it's not talked about. And on the ground is really a big issue because a lot of uh, life have been lost in it. Yes. We're looking at the Sahara uh, issue, for example, a lot of Afri thousands of Africans have died on the way and thousands have died in the sea, just the stretch of water between Europe and Africa. Mm -hmm. A lot of things have been said there. And like I said before, it's a political, it's a political situation. It's, sometimes it's a political gimmick, you know, they just it's heartbreaking. Let people perish, you know. Anyway, uh, mm -hmm. everyone is going to pay for his crime. Yes, indeed. Uh, all right. Now, have you had the time to talk to these victims, these women that have been trafficked across? What, what did they tell you about their journey? Like, why are they in this journey? You mean, why were they trafficked? A yes. lot of them were trafficked for, um, they're being taken to other countries and sold as sex slaves to work as prostitutes, or they're being put into servitude situations where they're working for different families, babysitting kids, having to clean the house, and they're really treated horribly bad. Um, and they tend to take younger girls. So 14-ish, young teenage girls is when they tend to grab them. Um, uh, yeah, it's a bad situation. They're not treated very well. They're often hungry. They feed them very little. They they don't have access to clean water. I mean, the 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 conditions that these people go through is horrific. You wouldn't wish it on anybody. You wouldn't you wouldn't wish it on anybody. And thank God that we are able to get some people out, and we're able to save some people before they even get in through education. And some people, uh, these people that are usually involved within looking at your data, are they mainly Africa, or they are also um other people of ethnic nation, nationality, maybe like- It's multi-ethnic, so there's no one group. All ethnic groups participate in it, even our own people, unfortunately. And and we know, for example, if you be conversant with the Nigerian story, of course, you you know that the Boko Haram, they came one day and they made away with a lot of children from school in a country, you know? Hey, 
yeah uh, nigeria anyway that is it so those people <laughs> we don't know where, where those where those children have 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 gone to them and we, we have a government we have a government who support who's to protect their own citizens but they allow people to come in and take away children maybe the, the people they are just drinking beer in in, in asu rock i don't know where? well you know sometimes when a person gets really desperate they'll do anything for money and that's a really scary thing but it's the reality you know, it's a it's a very difficult situation you know, because in this particular story, I've been working on it for a long time too. So I understand how painful it is. Mm-hmm. How painful it is where people undergo this kind of torture, you know? It's terrible. You, you, they are basically cancelled from existence. They mm-hmm. live like uh, you are living a memory that is very, very torturing. You know? Mm-hmm. So now I'm I'm gonna ask you something in this area. What kind of rehabilitation do you you get them involving, or do you know that these people pass? They have to pass through because, like I said, it's a very torturing situation mm-hmm. to pass through. What they usually pass through traffic, like goose, have to. I don't. Anyway, Europe. Um, sorry, United States is not near for. I'm talking of the children that are coming from Africa in this case. No, they are not even near. So who knows how they what they have to pass through to get there? Between Africa to Europe, a lot of people, like I already said, they just they quench, they die. No. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, not 10, not 20, not 100, not 1,000. And those that are trafficking, they are not yet tired of it. In fact, it's a booming business for them. As it's a lot of money. Concerned, this is just business. Right. So what do you do or what, is your, what does your organization do in terms of rehabilitation for these people? So they go to extensive counseling, not just for the victim, but for the victim's family as well. So there's a lot of psychological damage that happens and takes place and people suffer for many, 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 many years. And it takes a lot to get through it. And I don't, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that they actually ever get over it, but they, they find coping mechanisms. They learn coping mechanisms to help them deal in life and to reintegrate into life. But it's a process. And it takes a lot of dedicated people, a lot of man hours to put into it. So we get people into therapy because it's it's needed because the psychological damage that's done to a person is is can't even be described. It, it, it's tremendous. Right. So we have to work on the psyche because this is where people that are tracked. This is the this is the trackers get into your mind and they convince you that you're not worthy. You're not human. You, you know, we're the only hope that you have. And so they want, you know, they get into your mind. So to, to combat that, you have to get people into therapy. Therapy is very, 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 very crucial and important. And it's a must. It's a must. And not just for the victim, also for the victim's family, because once the person leaves therapy, their family is going to have to know what to expect from this person. They're going to have to notice things. So the family, it's it's a multifaceted approach. It's a holistic approach. The victim and the family. And do they usually come out of it uh, where, like, okay, Ben, after after a while they come out? I know that at the end of the day, of course, if you are talking of a thousand people, it's obvious that maybe you will see uh, at, at the point somebody would have been successful. No, uh, and these few successful people are what the people that are at home usually think about by giving their children out to be to be trafficked like that. Because you know, it's not in all the cases these people are just stealing. I just told you, like uh, what the Boko Haram did in Nigeria. Sometimes family members do give their children up into this journey because mm-hmm. they have no idea of the psychological trauma that right. they are putting their parents into, they are putting their, their children into. They are basically mm-hmm. selling them out. Right. So the question is, tell me uh, maybe a little bit of statistics. How many of them do really make it after 
you have rescued them, they become normal, they get work, everything is okay. So I don't have statistics on that because that's not the area I do the pre stuff. But what I can tell you is I am in contact with some people and, um, who are in the process of reintegrating back into society because I formed a relationship with the family as I was going through this with them. Um, some of the girls are doing really, really well, and some of the girls are struggling. So I think it, um, it depends on several things. Number one, how long they were in the bad situation, what kind of family support they have when they come out. Are they taking their therapy serious? Are there any substance abuse issues that we have to deal with as a result of what they went through? Because some people, you know, coping mechanisms aren't there. So they turn to alcohol or drugs or whatever, just to be able to cope during the day with their mind, right? They want to zone out. So there's all different kinds of things going on. So depending on what that individual is going through is going to determine the success rate, how fast they recover and all those kinds of things. So I don't have a specific statistic for that. But what I can tell you is that it's going to be, it varies by person because everybody is different. Everybody has different coping skills. Every Some people are able to cope better than others. Some people have a more supportive environment in, at home and maybe somebody else doesn't even have a family. And they're going through this on their own. All they have is their counselor or their therapy group. So it just kind of depends on the environment that the person comes back to, what they endured while they were in it. Do they have any extra issues to deal with, like alcoholism, drugs, whatever, prostitution, whatever? So for example, because I've worked with some group here, um, some of the uh, local, some of the uh, government organizations, sometimes the United Nations Agency, uh, so we uh, do know that some of them do have a connection to uh, to some uh, organization back home. Okay, we are looking mm -hmm. at, at the African immigration um, situation. No? So there are some organizations right there in Nigeria, looking at the Nigerian case, no? or maybe the women that have been repatriated. There are something that they need to do to help them be reintegrated into the society, some little fund, give it to them so that they can start something of their own. So the process is a, is a little bit long, but... There right. are some issues like this. And while this is going on too, there are some in the state, there are some in Lagos and some other, because I do know some of them that are uh, happy in this area. So uh, there is also the work that is going on, the work that is going on within the area of sensitization program on how to help the people understand what is really happening here. Because sometimes they don't understand what is happening here. They think everything is rosy. So whatever you right. can do, even if you just to come and pack shit, hey, tie me, put me inside whatever you want to put me, take me to Europe. They don't understand what is happening in Europe. That maybe if you go to uh, the central station in, in Milan, uh, the Milan central station, you will see a lot of Africa that are just lying on the street there. They don't have anywhere to go. That is their mm -hmm. Europe. If you go to Rome, it's the same. If you go to Berlin, it's the same. Go to France, it's the same. Nobody, wow. of course, talk about those ones. They only talk about those few people that have uh, make that have that have become successful. And uh, whatever you do to become successful, it doesn't. They, they don't really care about it, you know. And that can be really be the tragedy, you know. With me, that you are in, you just know that you can do anything you like. If you like, die. It doesn't matter. If you come wow. with a good result, people are going to shout your name. If you don't come with yeah. a good result, then you are a fucked up person, you know. Yeah. So that is also a, a part of it, meaning that the society needs to take up also a responsibility in those areas. So talking of that responsibility, then of course we'll be talking about education. Do you sometimes have to work with agency in the back in the in the home country where these immigrants are coming from, sort of help in sensitization program, helping them to be reintegrated into their 
home country instead of remaining in the United States, you know, something like that. So the organizations set that kind of stuff up um, that I don't do that. The organizations that I work with have people in the organizations that are connected with these different countries and different organizations in different countries that can do exactly what you're saying. So they do have those services here. Um, a lot of people um, choose to remain in the United States, though, because if they're trafficked from here, typically they have a family here. This is where they were raised and this is what they know. So they're not going to necessarily want to go back to another country unless that's where their family is at. Sometimes that's not the case. And uh, there is this uh, famous number, I think, was it like 3 million people that are illegal in the United States, no? And probably, the, and that's probably underestimated, yeah. <laughs> I remember during the administration of uh, Obama, there was this, uh, it was just the, the, the discussion that maybe they could be giving uh, amnesty, you know, that was already a big issue. But because illegal immigration is a big business, no? Yep. So uh, as long, not, not, not only in the United States, in all across, particularly in Europe now, it's also grown, it's growing very well because as long as you are illegal, people can do whatever they like with you, no? And this is like, what we already discussed before about the human rights. Because if you if you are not visible, if the state doesn't recognize you, you are not you are not in the data, you are not in the in the anagraphy, you, you are invisible, no? So you become basically agent that can be used by anyone. So uh, this question of illegal immigrant, alien, I think that is what you guys call it there, illegal alien. <laughs> yeah, some uh, people call them that. <laughs> Is there something working to sort of help uh, reduce the number? I mean, regularizing a lot of uh, a good number of them so that they can, because already they're already in the system, no? so that they can be legally in the system. I don't work for immigration. What I can tell you is that immigration is a huge problem here in the United States. Um, and just as you said, it is a big money thing because um, immigrants typically are working the agriculture sector. They pay them very little money, work them very long hours. Um, and so these companies are making a lot of money when they sell the food, right? So it's a big money thing. And then they work in other jobs. Um, companies hire them illegally because they can pay them less wages. It's just a big, it's a big, horrible mess. Um, but there are laws here in the United States that protect the immigrants here. And I know here in Arizona, they have a task force that goes out and these employers that are hiring people illegally and treating these people wrong are being held accountable for that. They're being sanctioned and sometimes jailed businesses put out of business. So there, there are some things happening in the United States to combat that. But even that, I'm not even able to understand it properly. We know that in this country, there are more than 300, sorry, there are more than 3 million illegal immigrants. Is there a system for them? Where, where are they supposed to get money? Where are they supposed to get food? They are, work. There, are there provisions for them? I want to understand that. Well, Typically when somebody comes here, so I think that we're talking about two different things. So I don't want people to get it confused. Illegal immigration is not the same thing as trafficking. That's the first thing. So illegal immigrants are, they can get here illegally a couple of ways. They can come here legally, right? And then stay past their visa. So then now they're illegal or they can enter the country illegally by being, being smuggled in. And when that happens, they're typically coming here for work. Um, or they're coming here to have their baby because then now the baby is a citizen and then you you think you have rights here because of that. So there's it's all kind of different things why people do it. So typically when somebody comes here illegally, those people are getting jobs here. 
they're not coming here and being homeless on the street for the most part. They're working and they're earning income and they're sending money back to their home country to take care of their family and they're taking care of themselves here. They don't make a lot of money because they're here illegally. So the whoever's hiring them is able to pay them at subpar levels and they don't have the best of jobs, but they're working. Okay. And they're making more than they would be making in their other country, even though by our standards, it's subpar. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much also for that clarification. No? Uh, but anyway, I wanted to to, uh, to drag that argument a little bit longer, but it's okay. I look at the time. It's time for us to look at uh, uh, Pan-Africanism. I know actually before we get there, what do you think is going to be uh, the best solution for the people who we become victims? I mean, people that are already at home, but their parents are sort of grooming them to become. Because like I said before, sometimes it's not all the cases. These people are just innocent, no? Maybe they watch news, ah, okay, they, they want to come, but they don't have a means to come. So they entered into this tunnel of, mm -hmm. of, of, um, of trafficking. You know? So if you were to send a message to those kind of people who are having their vision of the United States and they want to be there tomorrow, whatever happened, you know? so what would be your message to them? So what I want to tell people is don't believe everything that you see on TV. Because a lot of people, I talk to a lot of people all over the world, and people think that everybody in the United States is driving a Bentley. Everybody is living in some big mansion. We all have a bunch of gold chains, and we're, you know, dressing in all this name brand stuff. And what I want to tell people is, you might find yourself in a situation where you're homeless here. We have a lot of homeless people in the United States. We have high unemployment rates here in the United States. Um, this is not the land of milk and honey. Now, we do have a lot of opportunities here and there are opportunities for people to make money here, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to translate into your story. So if you're going to come here, I would encourage you to do it the right way and to make sure you're linked up with reputable people and reputable organizations to help with your success and not just fly by night, come over here because you might find yourself in a situation where you're hungry, you're homeless, you have nowhere to go, you don't know anybody, and that can be very, very dangerous. Are this coming, coming uh, the right way? Is it even simple to, to do? No, it's not. There's a process. It take, In some cases, it can take years. Um, it's not an easy process, but uh, it could be the very process that saves your life, though. All right, fine. So we are going back to uh, to the to the argument that I find more interesting, which is about Pan-Africanism. Tell me, of course, you are coming from Ghana. Is it, is it correct? Yes, I'm connected with Ghana. You're connected with Ghana. Okay, tell me a little bit for your origin from Africa. Where uh, do, what, what is where are you most where are you more connected? So I know how to be truly that part. So I'm connected mostly with the Fulani nation in Ashanti region of Ghana. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, all right, fine. So tell me your vision of Pan-Africanism. <laughs> that is, that so is for me, uh, my ultimate goal and what I see for Pan-Africanism is that people of African descent all over the world recognize that they are Africans, whether no matter where they were born, we are Africans, we are one people, we need to be working together, doing business with each other. We need to be supporting each other. We need to be, in other words, when, they, when we see these George Floyd things happening, everybody on the continent should be standing up fighting against that because this is, George Floyd is you. George Floyd is you. I would like to see a, a borderless Africa. <laughs> I don't like all these different countries, big and so I don't like that. I think those borders need to go away. 
Um, and we need to just be like we used to be. We, we had kingdoms. We didn't have countries. I think we need to be able to do trade with one another without all these different things. I don't think we should have to have visas and passports to go from here to there. I think that's an atrocity. Um, they don't have to do that in Europe. So why does the continent of Africa have to do it? This is just means to keep us divided and separated and to not get us to understand who we are. It's a big, big problem. Okay, now let's get the, the thing a little bit clearer. So uh, that uh, the whole of Africa should become one country or that we should be like um, different region. For example, in Nigeria, it's a country that is amalgamated, was amalgamated in 1914. And so we have uh, the predominant ethnic group like the Yoruba, the Hausa and the Igbo. And of course, each of these uh, group are enough to form countries of their own. In fact, right. they have been uh, a different big region of their own. For example, the Benin Empire have been a huge one bigger than what you have as Nigeria. Right. Uh, so uh, even the Benin, what is remaining today as Benin can become a small country of its own, for example. Is that what you mean? Uh, or we are referring to the whole of Africa put together as one country? That's what I'm referring to. One united Africa. Uh, how is that possible? I don't know that it is possible. I don't know the roadmap to that. I just know that in my mind, that's how things should work. And I and I'm connected with people who are working on the ground, you know, to unite our people. But again, there are so many boundaries in place. There are so many restrictions in place. And even that is political because people in the in the African Union, they're, you know, they're on the payroll from the European Union and not everybody wants to see that happen because if you're making a lot of money, you don't want that to be taken away from you. You don't want your position taken away. You're enjoying your lifestyle. So, I mean, everything in this world has become politicized when it really shouldn't be. And that's tragic because it hinders progress. Um, I think that what we should be doing is educating people on the benefits of Pan-Africanism, what that looks like. And so that this next generation can continue the work after we're gone, because I think eventually we will figure it out and eventually it will happen. It's probably not going to happen in my lifetime, although I would love for it to see that. I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime, but I think as we take this message forward and raise up this next generation and they raise up the next generation, that eventually it's going to become a reality. And I think right now we have the momentum to do it because people there's an awakening happening. People are tired and they're fed up and they want change. And Pan-Africanism is the change. All right. Yeah, I believe I believe I believe you. I really do hope that it becomes a reality. In fact, if it becomes reality today, it will it will be the best thing that we ever have put in our in our. You gonna see me before. dancing in the street, brother. I'm gonna be <laughs> dancing in the street. <laughs> of, course, of course, of course. But it doesn't mean that there will not be corruption anymore because we're talking of human no. beings. <laughs> exactly. All right. But do you think that it is even possible with, with the way things even are, even, let's even accept the countries the way they are. Do you think it is possible to work the way it is, or it is just impossible to function the way they are today as nations that have been uh, breaking up in Africa, 54 nations in the, the African Union, for example? Do you think it is structurally possible, or it is just not possible because we are broken down in this line? I don't think we can continue the way we're going. And I, the reason I'm saying that is because um, I think, and again, I don't live over there, but I think that these countries are in on the payroll of European countries. And even though they have a president and a front man, I don't think that president or the front man is the one calling the shots. And so in that sense, it's not going to work. 
not for the benefit of our people. And it's going to it's going to work for the benefit of somebody. It just won't be us. And we see that now. So in, in essence, what we are talking about is not just because of the land border is because of the way the system is structured. System Correct. The administration. No? Is yes. that OK? If that is the case, it means that if you were to have a better system, say, for example, uh, in West Africa, where we are negotiating to have uh, one currency, uh, mm -hmm. say we were to have one military, okay, one military, not not only one military, but a, a higher collaboration militarily, then, of course, our border will still have it. Because even the United States, for example, you, you have states, no? It's not, it's not that what is happening in California is exactly what is happening in New York. There are some right. differences, no? Uh, in, in, but the in difference Nigeria, is we don't have to have a passport to go to California. Mm -hmm. We can do trade with California. We can do business with California. We can go back and forth to California whenever we want. And we don't have to go through all these restrictions and stuff. That's what you guys have over there. Mm -hmm. Because I'm trying to understand that if the solution, because, it, you know, there are, there, are, there are the opinion of some people who say, okay, let's just destroy everything and start again from afresh. Or let's just go back to how we were before, like a thousand years ago, and start from there. You know, all these things, they, they really need to be explained in detail, you know? Uh, but now I'm thinking, I'm thinking that maybe what is wrong is no, is no, okay, the border is wrong because the European, they, they, they sit down among themselves and decide to break Africa the way they want it. That is already right. wrong the way it is. But Correct. It doesn't mean that Nigeria as a country, for example, I'm using Nigeria because that is what I know better cannot function because it was made by the European. Mm -hmm. It is not functioning because the system, the way the system is structured is not functioning, but we can change the system. It doesn't mean by changing the system, we must change the border. So I'm looking at, we need quality leader. If we have quality leader, say in Ghana, in Senegal, a Senegal can still become very prosperous country, producing for mm -hmm. the people of Senegal, they're collaborating with Ghana, collaborating with Nigeria, without necessarily breaking down the borders. So this is my question. Do you think it is possible that even with the borders that we have, even though it wasn't us that created this border, even though we were not consulted, but this is the way it is now. Within this border, we can still create prosperous nation. That is my question. I think that is possible, but I don't think it's likely. And the reason I say that is because if if um, different countries are in bed with different outside countries, right? And so the interests are different. And so maybe it's not beneficial to France for <laughs> that to happen. And so what is France going to do? They're going to put sanctions and do all kinds of stuff and shut it down. So I, I just really, for me, I believe that we need to look within and not without for our solutions. And so for that to happen. I believe that we shouldn't be looking at each other as Nigerians and Senegalese and, and Ghanaians and people from Benin and all that kind of stuff, because when you do that, that's still separatism. I'm different from you when the reality is we're not, we're all one people. And if we learn to look at each other as one people and come together as one people, do business as one people, then we're looking out, treating each other like family. And then we're going to do, do do what's right and not necessarily be selfish with what we're doing because what I see happening and in, in, in our even in our import and export deals, people say people on the continent say this to me all the time. Well, you know, I'm a Nigerian and we're different from 
say this group over here and but what's in it for for Nigerians because Nigeria has to be first they they're not looking at it as this is going to be beneficial to everybody involved they want it to be beneficial for their little group only that to me is problematic because you you want to do it's great that you want to do something good for you but what about these other people they they deserve good things also so why can't we work out a deal that's beneficial it's a win win for everybody and not just a win for you and so you're taking trying to take advantage so that you get all the resources and these other people suffer that's not okay yeah yeah it's, it's not okay to take advantage of other people yeah i completely agree with you but now i am just thinking on Say, for example, looking at the countries in, in the American continent, no? um, we can say that um, Brazil can become a very powerful country mm -hmm. if they have good leader and everything all the same. No? The economy will say everything all the same. No? <laughs> you know? uh, they, of course, their neighbors can also be successful if the things are run mm -hmm. away. Because I don't think that the game really necessarily has to be a zero-sum game. Right. We can have a positive sum game in that everybody can actually benefit. The resources that is available for us, they are not limited. It is only no. limited in our head. But really, not limited, but the people limited. that have the resources are the ones that's calling the shots. And so I mm -hmm. think the system that we have right now, so we have big, big boy players, right? Like the United States is a big boy player. They're able to put sanctions on these smaller countries because they're smaller countries. They're able to punish them when they don't get in line and do what they're told to do. Look what happened to Zimbabwe when Mugabe tried to stand up. What did they do? They starved the people. That's why I'm saying we need to come together as African people. That never should have been allowed to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I want to I want to ask you the question like this: Which do you think is more probable? Is easier to fight for? Um, looking at everything around now. Okay, by that let me create a contest here. That now, before, and even in the time to come, Africa will always remain an attractive place. Mm -hmm. It will always remain uh, a battleground for the survivor of the humanity, of, of course, because that is right. where humanity was born. Correct. Africa is successful, is going to be attractive. Africa is not successful, is going to be attractive. It's just a question of who is calling the shots. Right. Know? At the end of the day, everybody wants to be in Africa. Look at China, <laughs> yep. for example. No? China is beginning to have, China is beginning to become the big boy in the world. Yes. Where does it, it try to have the, the strongest food? It's in Africa. It's in all the South Asia. And it's because this is it's more than just the resources. We are talking of we are talking of the human being. This is yep. the bad place of the human being. So now, which means whichever way we take it, we are going to have to confront people anyway. Whether mm -hmm. Africa unite together, which of course I think is a good thing that we should do. But the likelihood of fit is what I don't yet understand. The second, the alternative of that is that we remain the way we are today as countries, but we should produce quality leader to run our country the way it should be run. Yes. Which of them do you think is more probable? Dissolving the countries in Africa and making it one country or functioning as this individual country that we have, but looking for quality leaders? So I think either way, it's going to be a problem. And this is why I say that, because I think there are 
people on the, I think there are countries who are trying to raise up quality leaders, but then the powers that be stage a coup and take them out. And of course, they are going to continue to take them so, out. So how do we fight that? Because it's to me, to me, it's cyclical. It's a it's a constant circle. And I don't know the answer to it because yes, we can have we can raise up good leaders, but when that happens, what happens to them? The powers that be who don't want their money cut off and who don't want the people to rise up, who don't want an independent leader in there, they want somebody that's a puppet in there, they take out the strong leader. So Currently, that's not working. Um, I think if we were just to tomorrow take away all the borders and make one United Africa, that would be a nightmare if you just woke up and did that tomorrow because people speak different. We can't talk to each other. We have different political beliefs. That would be a nightmare. There, there has to be a process put in place so that we can logically do these things. I think if we work on creating the quality leaders and trying to get them in places first, and then that will lead to a one United Africa. I think that might work, but the problem, like I said, is how where are we going to get these quality leaders because people are afraid to stand up because they know the likelihood of them getting killed is very high, especially if you live in a country that's controlled by outside forces, which most of them are. <laughs> so I, I don't I don't know the answer. I think it has to be a little bit of both to get to the grand prize. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. That is why we are here. If we have all the answer, we should already have everything that we, we want. We should be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have all the answer. This is why no. we are here. We are we are talking. We are we are cracking our brain so that we can we can come up with the with the solution. And we really must be doing this. All right. Now this is where this is how I see it. The European power, the United States, for example, we never stop to take down the leader that is not in their interest in Africa. This is for sure because they are fighting for their survivor too. Mm -hmm. Every people need to fight for their survivor. Yep. I think the error that we make of whom as Africa, because we are talking Pan-Africanism, because by Pan-Africanism, we're looking at African interests, my interests as an Africa, which does not necessarily mean because I'm in Nigeria, because I am a Ghanaian. I am an Africa, that is right. number one. But of course, we can also become African, even in Nigeria, Africa, in Ghana too. It's not. It's not an. It's not an opposing uh, positions. Correct. Uh, what I want to say in respect of that is that the European elite want to be in charge of Africa. Yes. Now the question is, do we really expect them to dis, uh, to uh, take action in our interest or take action in their interest? Because if we are doing that, then we are making error. We are expecting the person who is exploiting you to save you. I don't, It'll it, never happen. So if that is the case, because now we have looked at uh, two variables, no? The two probability that the easiest one that we can do is to raise quality leaders. When mm -hmm. I do quality leader, then we need to look among us. How can we do this? Do, does it really mean that among us as a people, we don't have quality leaders? That in Ghana, you don't have quality leader to stand up and really uh, fight for the common interest of the Ghanaian people because this is where we are going to start from because they say charity begins at home. Before it starts start at the grassroots of, level. Because we start talking of the whole of Africa, we are going to have to talk of the little group. Because even if Africa were to even become a nation, which I think is going to be difficult for now, yeah. say maybe for example the headquarters is Addis Ababa, the person in Addis Ababa doesn't know what is happening in my village. So we are still going to have the local administration, right? Then the regional administration. So there is no way we are going to totally eliminate 
the responsibility of the individual people. No. So from the individual people, how do we raise quality leader? Because that way we can stand because we don't need to stand to fight. Up to this point, we are not fighting. We are just begging them, please don't kill us. But whether they kill us or not, we are waiting for them to take the decision. It is us to take the decision to live or to die. We decide the kind of death we want to die. Well, I, I think this is the same problem that's happening all over the world and not just on the continent of Africa, because what ends up happening is I think there are quality leaders on the continent. But what ends up happening is, um, for the most part, leaders are taken down from within and not from without. So it's usually somebody in your own camp that sells you out and gets you killed or gets you taken out of office and things like that. How does that happen? Well, it happens because of corruption. And so I think, like you said, for me, the key is education. We really need to be stressing education. I think we need to start with these younger generations and we need to concentrate on raising up a generation to do these things. Because I think the current generation is too far embedded in the corruption and in the political system and they have self-interest going on. Their pockets are being fed. All kinds of variables play into it, right? I think we need to be educating this next group of people, next group of leaders to come up um, to do the right thing. And they need to be educated on the importance of surrounding yourself with responsible, capable people who are in, in um, serious about their beliefs and have a platform to stand on so that they can't be bought off and paid off to do the wrong thing. All right. That, that, is, that is important, too. And um, how do we then begin to uh, deconstruct the? Because now we are looking up, we are looking for how do we build together, no? Whether we are in the continent or in the diaspora, this is going to be very important for us. Mm -hmm. uh, now we also must understand that that is there are some individuals that are working against or that are taking advantage of our inability to work together. Mm -hmm. How do we begin to decode the system? Because now we know that there is a system that is not in our interest. How do we decode it? And then, okay, Kulma was saying, you no, know, that you don't necessarily need to reject everything. Take what is good in the in the Western system and use it for yourself. How do we do that? Right. So I think you have to learn how to work within the system. And just like he said, use what, what works and take that and just discard the rest of the stuff. But in order for us to navigate in this system, we first have to understand the system. And many of us don't. We don't understand it. We have to understand the system. We have to find ways to navigate within the system and then use the system to our advantage. And I think that's where we're failing right now or not failing, but falling short. We can do a lot better. We need to understand the system. We need to get into the system. We need to have our people in the system because like I said before, we have all the wrong people in the right places. We need to get some of the right people in there so that we can use the system to our benefit to help our people globally. And until that happens, we're gonna stay in the situation that we're in right now, which is why I said, we really need to be focusing on raising up a generation of strong people, unapologetic people, bold people who are not afraid to speak truth to power to get us out of this mess. All right, this has be a very interesting Thank you so much. Um, now, uh, coming to the end of the conversation, I will, of course, ask for your uh, final statement. No, uh, except of course, you have something you wanted to say that I didn't ask you. What would be the conclusion of this conversation? Uh, because now we've talked about at least three key things. No, we talk about uh, human right. Uh, there is an argument already um, tabling for that, but for another day with the professor in Addis Ababa, because it's very important. You have to do also with the law. Uh, uh, what kind of law do we even have? No. So we are doing all this kind of conversation where we are really provoking ourselves. Let's talk. Right. Let's talk about it. No. 
<laughs> so uh, we talked also about uh, human trafficking, and now we talked about uh, uh, Pan-Africanism. Uh, for you to conclude the conversation, kind of a final reflection, what would be for you? So what I would like to say to everybody is find what your passion is. There's enough work in this world. The world is a messed up place. There's enough work in this world for everybody to get involved somewhere. Find what your passion is, get involved and walk your passion. And let's all come together as human beings to make this world a better place. That's what I want to say. Get involved. You can no longer, we can't afford for people to be sitting on the sidelines watching as spectators. Get out of those stands and get in the game. Get in the game. Whatever you're passionate about, link up with some people that are passionate about that also and put in the work. You know, Minata, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, time. I'm so, so honored. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. The pleasure is mine. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate and review Obehead Podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obehead A14. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you in the next episode.